Welcome to This American Dice. And this time, Austin, David, both of them, they're going to review a module from the 80s called Against the Cult of Reptile God. You might have just heard it on Scale and Shadow. They're about to explain what they're going to do anyway. Let's listen. All right. Theoretically, we're live. Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again. I'm Chad Chetworth, and this is the This American Dice News. With Chad Chetworth at the front desk. Deborah McGraw on sports. And Clip Chunkwell for weather. Of course, introducing our traffic correspondent. Oh, I'm David. I'm David only. David Onlys. All right. Today, on This American Dice News, we're going to be discussing something that might be affecting you and your children. The first edition Dungeons & Dragons (laughs) module against the cult of the reptile god. (laughs) Now, for more from, for some reason, our traffic correspondent, David Onlys. David? (laughs) But yeah, uh, we're doing this. uh, We played a module recently. You might have heard some of it in the the Scale and Shadow I will, I will correct you on played a module recently, <laughs> but uh, recently, relatively. Yeah, true uh, enough. In geological times, we just finished. We, yeah. We're still doing it. Folks might have heard it recently. There but we, we played it a little bit ago. But it's called Against the Cult of the Reptile God. It's a Douglas Niles. It's a, a celebrated module from the, the early days. And the person whom um, David Hyde Pierce's character in Frasier was named after. Yeah, Niles, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Yes. Duh. Doug. Les Niles. Oh, I was hoping they'd have some interesting uh, thing on the back by way of introduction, but I think that's so old. It just says, this project is only one of many popular playing aids for Advanced Dungeons <laughs> & Dragons. Yep. And it just lists the other, just basically an ad for the other modules you could buy. Anyway, so what, what we're doing today is uh, we're <laughs> yeah, going to try to rip. I just realized point. we haven't set up what the hell we're doing. So <laughs> we played we played through this game. Uh, you heard our whole actual play. You also heard our player debrief. You have heard our discussion that David and I um, had, uh, like as gun- game masters, what you can get from our experience from this, like what little lesson, little little lessons we learned. Little lessons is the name <laughs> of my uh, horse. Man, I hope it wins in the in the big derby. Um, and I think that w- what we decided was we should look at the module because this was the second time in any of these that we used some kind of. No, this is technically the third time that we've used some pre-made material. Oh yeah, because good point. technically. Three of our four long games have been like supplements to games. So D- Ryoko Wari was one, Dragon mm-hmm. of Ice Spire Peak, and this. Yeah, wow. Um, I don't think I ever made that connection, but I guess we do this pretty often. Yeah. So we figured, aside from just talk about it in regard to what you could learn, here's this as a module, because it seems like this has... Maybe it's just because of who I am and the fact that I'm doing this with you, David. <laughs> I feel like I've heard more about this than I would have otherwise. So maybe there's just something to this. Um, what attracted you 
to this very old module. It's from what, 80 what? Yeah, great question. I have it up here. It's, uh, yeah, 82. Yeah. So this thing that is now at this point, 41 years old. Yeah. Um, what attracted you to this? It's one of the more popular modules, but I hadn't heard about it. And I feel like, I, especially growing up, because I, I think we've discussed this before, like I got into D&D when I was like a teenager, like in high school or middle school, perhaps. Yeah, I feel like I heard of most of the uh, the very famous modules back in the day, but somehow Against the Cold of the Reptile God was never in these like the best of lists, which is weird because now it's like every single list of these. But I think at the, first... the top of the charts and on the lips of all the people who are hipping in the know. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and I don't know if that's a recent development or what, but apparently people have rediscovered it later or I was just completely ignorant to it somehow. Anyway, the first time I heard about it was in the Dungeon World uh, book itself. I have uh, Appendix 3 here, one of the things at the, the back. They go over how to convert old D&D modules into Dungeon World and give advice. And they use Against the Goal of the Reptile God without specifically saying that's the title. Like, oh, and there's a Naga that's an evil lady that's controlling people's minds and you could get ambushed. And here's how you would do that. And there's a big reptile cult. And like, what are they even talking about? And I think I had to do some Google research and figure out, oh, oh, yeah, I how did I've never heard about this? This is crazy. I just put it in the back of my mind. And then years later, uh, Matt Coville, which is another uh, he's a YouTuber who does a D&D and role-playing game advice. I think he's making his own game at this point, too. But I think it's a... What's his MCDM? MCDM or MCVD? Yeah. I think it's Matt Colville DM, right? MCDM? I want to say that. But anyway, sure. he, has, he has a great YouTube channel. Everyone should listen to if you're into that kind of thing. But at one point, he brought that up again. I was like, oh, yeah. I think he had a whole episode about it. And it jogged my memory. Yeah, this is that, that weird... You know, module that I'd heard about in Dungeon World, there might be something to this. And then I had in the back of my head, yeah, one day I want to run this. This sounds great. This would be a really good module to run. That sounds very easy and hopefully fun to do in Dungeon World. And eventually we got there. Took a little while. Yeah, when it's def I'm sorry. I was going to say, uh, when, when had you heard about it? Or was it through this game or? It was through you. Uh, yeah, so it was. But then the funny thing was uh, a couple years later on YouTube, I found multiple reviews of it. So Matt Coville talked about it. Seth Skorkowski talked about it. A great channel, which I wish they did more stuff. Uh, I think the stuff that they do just kind of takes a lot of production. And if it's a small operation, maybe they can't do that. It's called DM it all. Does like a walkthrough of it. And it's it's just a lot of, a lot of fun and there were just all of a sudden we saw a i feel you you could go on youtube and just find a million things about this i had it's interesting that you said you experienced a lot of these different modules as a kid when i got into dungeons and dragons it was of course stereotypically a friend's older brother sat us down and he was like yeah let's play this game also I'm just going to use my confidence as a cool teenager to tell you kids who are in fourth grade or whatever it is that I definitely know these rules. And then he just kind of made them up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so once I actually got one of the books, I was like, uh, this is nothing like what 
I thought. And, um, but I had even like pretty late into things. I never really encountered Dungeons and Dragons, like specific modules or adventures. Like to me, D and D was just always something that you, at least back then entirely made up in your head. And that was the fun of it. And that was the cool thing. And later on, you can absolutely do that, but there's lots of pre-made things that are available to you. And I think that that's great. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, now, David, you need to take one of those positions unnecessarily strongly. Uh, so then <laughs> that'll be the title of the YouTube video. So like you have like a way too contrarian opinion about it, but for real, <laughs> do you, do you think that there's, I, I, I know the answer to this ready. What do you think uh, is a positive of using kind of a, a pre-made thing like this rather than just, I'll make it up. This will be my own world and creation. Yeah. I, I think, uh, especially, you know, speaking to our childhoods right now, I grew up RPG grew up thinking that modules really dumb and it's like, Oh, lazy people use modules. That's stupid. I'm the dungeon master. I need to make my own world. That's the coolest thing to do. And it was really fun to be honest. I don't know what, tip the balance but at some point i was like oh these are all you know some of the best like early writers the pioneers of rpgs that wrote these uh now hugely celebrated modules why why did i ignore these through a decade or more of my life these are incredible i think once we started getting together and playing these games specifically i've been using them way more often and it's the framework i think is is very freeing especially when you don't have infinite time like you would as a high schooler or a college student to uh, even to make up all these worlds and stuff yourself. You can kind of use them as a framework and invite the players to help make that stuff with you. So I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of using modules, I think, especially to, you know, start things off. And much like in this one, how we, how we played scale and shadow, you can go very far adrift from what was actually written on there. But the idea is, they're experts for a reason. They're great. Yeah. The first time I think I dealt with that was in, and we, I, I ran it long ago for uh, Carl and Lee and Wally and uh, his friend. That the robot creature is, is escaping me. No, it was, it was one of the modules or one of the adventures from the second edition, like intro to Dungeons and Dragons box set. And I loved that. I thought it was so cool and everything about it was so amazing and so grown up and playing it later on. I was like, oh, my God, this doesn't make any fucking sense. And even Ry the Ryoko Wari game. In that, I thought that was the most amazing, well put together stuff. When I first read it in 2002 or three, I thought it was phenomenal it was so, it, it was just awesome. It was the coolest thing ever. It was a movie come to life in this game that you get to live. And uh, then when we played it, it was like, wait, hold on. They didn't think of any of the things that they even suggested and how they would interact with this. So to bring this to GM advice again, rewind a week, uh, to bring this to GM advice again, don't feel like you're not, being creative if you're using these 
because there is no way people stay on the rails, even if they're generally willing to go along with whatever you're doing. Even if they're like, yeah, absolutely. There's going to be somebody who's like, well, can I pick up the frog? And you're like, I never fucking thought about if they could pick up this glowing magical frog. Shit. Um, yeah, I don't see why not. That would be crazy that you couldn't, right? And then later on, like, so the glowing magical frog always knows when people are evil. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, hold on. All right. Yeah, he's the werewolf. Like that kind of a deal. Like that's going to happen. And the people who made these games are oftentimes very, very good writers, have very good ideas, and are also very fallible, just as fallible as anyone else is. And sometimes either didn't think about this stuff or didn't think about some of these possibilities and contingencies, or they were so of a particular style of gaming that the idea that anyone would play any other way was like outlandish to them, or it was just a matter of resources even to them where it's like, hey, we can only have 30 pages in this because otherwise it's too expensive to print the thing. Uh, no, you cannot print another map. The images are even more expensive. So hell no. So you're like, uh, where is everything in regard to everything else? So I would say don't ever feel bad about that. But you mentioned that Dungeon World had some suggestions for how to convert old modules to use Dungeon World. I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into a twofer here. Oh, uh, nice. two for a two for grace. And, mm -hmm. um, it's loved his work in Spider-Man three. Yeah. And later he played David Duke. Um, what a, what a range, what a range the man has from Eric Foreman to David Duke to Eddie Brock. Um, he's, he's fine. Um, <laughs> so the first thing is why do dungeon world rather than dungeons and dragons? And I know that this will just kind of be, I don't want to say your opinion, but why not convert this to fifth edition D and D? What do you think aside from just, well, I like this game more. Like, why do you think that would be a better way to go? Um, and then how was that process? Yeah. And I think there are uh, a few folks who have converted to fifth edition. If that's your jam, I think you can, they're like very cheap. I think on the, the dungeon, the, the guild or something. Yeah. There's a dungeon masters guild. Yeah, I think that's I it. I think I, I came across a few of those and I'm like, oh, th this is awesome that they've they've kind of done this. And I think they've re-released the the original like PDF as well, like Wizards of the Coast officially. But so people have done that work for you. It would be fun to maybe convert it um, if you need to. But I mean, you kind of uh, shot me in the foot here because I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, I just like Dungeon World or Dungeon World better honestly but it is also i think easier to like i said branch off and kind of let the players do what they whatever they want to do with this kind of um system powered by the apocalypse system which dungeon world is, is great with and i also just i like the challenge of moving things from different systems too it was kind of fun to kind of do that and i was looking for a module to explain that more, just uh, using a module, but then using a completely different game system for it is a fun kind of like challenge to convert that kind of stuff. But what was maybe 
what were some of the challenges you ran into with converting that? I don't know if this is more along the GM kind of stuff that we should have had in the other section, but like you converted this. Was there anything that was particularly difficult to switch over from those systems? If anybody is interested in doing this or interested in taking other modules and switching it over in that same way. Um, yeah, actually it, it was not hard at all. And the fact that Dungeon World kind of gives you in that Appendix 3, like a head start on that was pretty good. Even though I think in the end, I didn't use a lot of their, their suggestions that they, they had. Um, it was kind of a, an illustration on how to make fronts. Um, like the enemy fronts, if you've gone far into Dungeon World yourself. Um, which, since we only had one big threat, I didn't really use that much. That's maybe getting a little too inside baseball for Dungeon World, but... It's not that hard to do. It's, um, I think the the hardest, but also the most fun thing to do was to make the um, different monster stats. It's really fun to convert, and the magic items. And both of those, you're kind of just making, you're writing new rules, um, or not rules, but new moves for the um, the GM. So kind of actions that the GM would take on misses, essentially for the enemies or moves that the players can take, you know, on their turn. So they're adding to the stuff they can do. So mechanically it's actually really fun to do, but that's probably the, the, the craziest or the most work you have to do really is making those items and and the enemies. But thankfully there's also a lot of, uh, I'm sure it seems like the two designers of dungeon world were big fans of against the cold of the reptile God. Cause if you, you know, squint hard enough, a lot of their monsters are like, Oh, okay, this is, this might be this character from against the cult of the reptile god without using you know their wizards uh property or ip specifically i did make a lot of it myself but a lot of it or qu quite a few of the things i just found online too there's since dungeon world is sort of an older game at this point how long how old was dungeon world like a decade maybe at this point but they uh there's lots of resources too that you can just i mean Google like um, weird reptile man, <laughs> and you can find stats for them pretty easily. So it, I wouldn't say it was overly challenging, but it was the fun kind of challenge that I think GMs kind of live for. So I would I would highly recommend it. I would do it again. It was great, especially the the older modules like from AD and D, like the eighties era. They're so maybe sparse, like they kind of focus more on the setup and the different things that players can do without a ton of really intricate detailed stats or, you know, this character has to be exactly like this. And if the princess isn't here on this day, then you'll have to do this, which they kind of get into more, you know, like, like have to detail way more of that kind of stuff, like the, the intricacies in um, later modules, I feel the earlier ones, I feel just let and maybe trusted the GM to do more, you know, off the cuff and kind of make it stuff up as they go along. So I do like the older school ones more, I guess. I don't even know if I'm answering your question anymore, but <laughs> that's certainly something I thought of. No, righty. <laughs> All right. Well, well, you obviously had to change a lot of stuff. What would you say were some of the biggest things in this that, well, actually, 
um, let's 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 hop out of this because we're not doing. The, let's make this more of a review. What would you say is the strongest element of this? The thing that like I had asked you what attracted you to this, and you and I both talked about that as like uh, I asked that I asked that question in a little bit of a different way as like what brought you to seeing this. Now having run it and dealt with it, what would you say the strengths of it are? Like where where does it stand out as like? If you're going to do something like this, this is one to consider, um, whether you're just playing it or you're taking inspiration from it, whatever you think. What what's what's a what are some strengths that come out of this bad boy? Um, yeah, I do love the 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 main villain, Explictica Defilus, the Naga who, um, you know, can mind control people and is trying to become a reptile god herself. Like, that's a really cool motivation for a, a villain just mind control i think every universally pretty evil situation and that she's trying to you know force a new religion to happen like a cult that's always fun so and that she's kind of hidden from the beginning like what does reptile god mean oh my gosh who are these cultists very very interesting kind of situation to start out with and they do the hook of it just you go to this town and everyone's really standoffish and they're all paranoid is an interesting kind of a it's different than a lot of other towns would be maybe like in the standard D D mold <laughs> i made them southern i thought that would be funnier because uh i feel like because you can run because of, because of your co coastal elite uh stereotyping <laughs> i get it we exactly. get it we get it, we get it. Um, that's very um uh, thinking like uh hp lovecraft what was that one like the where they're all fish people that... the snorks ah uh, yes yes of course my favorite hp lovecraft <laughs> yeah <laughs> shugdroth snork mm -hmm. uh, something like that the snork the the mad snork that plays to blind pipers naturally <laughs> but another thing um so all the setup, I guess, is is really interesting. And another really cool thing is that, like I was saying before, how they use this as an example of how to make fronts in, um, like, threat fronts in Dungeon World. I think they kind of made this up in the original module well before Dungeon World even happened, or Power Body, or Apocalypse World, I should say. Because they have a whole chart in there of, oh, if the players go here and just decide not to do anything. Here's what will happen like in a week after. And here's a, in the second week, this will happen. And they have kind of a whole list of if the players are just not doing anything and just being murder hobos or just hang out the tavern looking for wenches the whole time. These um, this threat will escalate on its own. If, if not, if nothing's done with it, which is essentially what the D or the um, dungeon world mechanic fronts became. I thought that was awesome too. Yeah, that's one of those things that seems so uh, like ingrained in more games nowadays of if things don't happen, stuff behind the scenes will continue. But I guess that was just not the case, that everything was just kind yeah. of the static where it was like, well, eventually you get to the keep and then the wizard is waiting there, like that kind of a thing. Um yeah, and from my understanding, I think this was one of the first ones that like had this like boss too. It was just kind of, well, we're all in a 
we're all trying to get treasure in a dungeon and each layer of the dungeon we're going to make interesting for you but this one actually had oh you have an end boss everything is you know explicable defilus is setting up all these machinations it's all, it's all goes it all goes to her it's one of the first ones to do that which i thought also interesting that now basically every module does yeah that's um, the following year was the the release of the first Ravenloft module. Oh, yeah. And um, I know a lot of people have talked about Ravenloft as um, it, it sounds so weird to say visionary or revolutionary, but like a real game changer in that the bad Literally. guy would the, the bad guy would leave the his his hideout and go do stuff. Yeah. Like, like, oh, he can also do things. He's supposed to be a very powerful vampire. Why wouldn't he go out and do stuff? Like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Rather than he just stays in one place until you eventually show up. And then he's like, good, you've arrived. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting that a lot of that stuff is kind of baked into some of these games now. Either the game system or just assumed in a lot more modules or the way you're expected to tell a story. All right. You obviously would have to change stuff to convert it to the dungeon world system, but were there any story elements that you changed really significantly or ditched? I know obviously we included early on that thing that was kind of the village of Hamlet, uh, but from the reptile gods specifically, what, were there other things that you wanted to monkey with that you thought just didn't really work out more or, or just straight up thought were like, like, this is dumb. I got to ditch it or I have to totally redo this because it doesn't make sense. Um, the one thing that jumps out is I was worried. I think I was we're touching on this before how the uh, the whole village is supposed to be very paranoid and insular, you know, like to themselves. And I was kind of where I mean, we I picked some good players here, so I wasn't overly worried about it, but I was kind of worried that the players would just be like, ah, who cares? These, this is a whole town of assholes. Let's just move on. This sucks. And I wanted to also play up how much uh, they're all assholes too. So to kind of counteract that, I tried to introduce at least one villager that was sympathetic. And I did that with the leading questions too. I, I don't know if I asked for volunteers or if I signed it to Brandon specifically, but that he had known the bishop that was from the village before. And I know from the module, he turns into a villain. So that would be, I thought that would be an awesome reveal at some point, but didn't really help the sympathetic person. So I gave him this daughter, Ren, who ends up being a, like a pretty important, you know, character to this, this little story we did. I actually stole her from not, the Temple of Elemental Evil, but the, uh, I think, third edition or fourth edition, maybe a uh, remake of it, the return to, um, to the Temple of Elemental Evil. I read that over, and there was a character that was an alchemist named uh, uh, Rene, I think. So I kind of just stole that and changed the name slightly. I thought Ren was cooler, just for no particular reason. But maybe that was the biggest addition I added, was to kind of have this NPC kind of, uh, I guess, mouthpiece for the village itself to kind of make sure that the players had a stake in the village's 
fate and also that they weren't all assholes really and to remind them constantly oh yeah ren's with us she's given us healing potions and stuff even though in actuality i don't think she i think maybe one time we we had her get, get a healing potion but she was a sympathetic character that you know was a constant reminder like oh yeah this entire village is at stake if we don't get this snake lady out of here um, if I may be so bold, um, I think that from at least my perspective as a player in the game, the minute we had Ren and her connection with Simulgar, we kind of were already on, we were much more on the hook. And so all of the other people being standoffish or an, a problem, it wasn't really there. And I think a way that you can, even if you don't want to have that uh, kind of a character, is just play up the difference between the folks who are already in the cult or brainwashed and where they're like, they're extremely nice. And so you could have it uh, like kind of a playoff. If you could spend more time in the village, kind of have those people turning some of the, uh, the, the, the player characters against non converted uh, like the holdouts in the town. Are there any particular people who are really holding out and seem like they won't be able to be converted? Maybe folks who are converted try to be nice to the player characters and give them a fake mission to be like, oh, this guy, he's a real problem. We think that this is there and maybe over-anxious players might go there and kill them. Or if not, then they go there and then they find out some clues of like, okay, something's fucked up here. This person isn't what I was told. And then things start to kind of unravel. Yeah, that, that's a really good idea. Like, like you were saying, in the end, I was worried for no reason, much like the, well, I guess I had a reason, but much like the paranoid village itself. Uh, I think all the players were like, oh yeah, this is fine. We're going to save the city. Let's do it for the village. Yeah, and then once they tried to capture us, and they tried to capture us pretty early on, mm-hmm. that was in, what, the second or third session? Yeah, probably. It was very, It was very early on. So then once that point hits... It's like, all right, well, yeah. Now we got to figure something. We got to figure something out here. I think it. There might have been only that I can remember one um, notable en- encounter with the the paranoid townsfolk. Was it the one when we came in like right away? Yeah. Even that didn't seem that bad. Yeah, I think you. I think you didn't play them off as like paranoid and uh, standoffish as you maybe thought. Mm-hmm. So. Matt Coville does bring up a good point about some of this, which is really the group of people that wandered out of the woods and encountered that old man, that man and his son. You shouldn't want to encounter those people. Yeah. Like Castor is a person who looks like a nightmare. Um, Then you have like some kind of weird wizard and uh, like a guy in a karate outfit. Like, what the hell are you four, three people doing together? You (laughs) just came out of the woods um, I think Castor was covered in blood. Yeah, I think it, he, he, you described him as always having black eyes or broken noses. Yeah, he was always beat up. And so it's like, okay, this this maniac just showed up. Why would you want to talk to him? David is getting a bottle of Zima that he has had since the 1990s. Delicious. All right, mm, delicious. <laughs> that was our official motto, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, any other things that you felt like you had to change up? 
because I know there are some fairly famous characters in this game, in this game, in this game module. There's some fairly like kind of famous characters that get sometimes made fun of in the deep cut nerd ass world of people who like these games. Uh, the wizard that you can kind of go and meet up with oh, and that right, kind of yeah. stuff is, is did any of that appeal to you or did you just say like, we're not, I'll be having none of that. So yeah, actually, um, I was trying to figure out uh, in preparation for this this very thing we're recording now, um, where I came up with old Ash Oak. I'm not really sure. I think uh, the closest I could get was uh, there is a Jeru Ash Staff that I think is a a Druid that was either in against Gold the Reptile God, or it might have been in um, the Village of Hamlet that was supposed to be just the mechanical function in um, the early days of D and D is you had to get like someone of higher level to train you if you want to level up and they were kind of there for that. And I think it's the one I'm thinking of it's specifically to get a scroll of like a uh, shielding or something because explicit defilus has fireballs. And it's like, Oh, they'll probably kill the first level character unless they have a, this specific scroll. And I thought that was dumb. Also, I thought Jeru was a dumb name. So I was like, uh, I guess at some point, I don't remember exactly how or why, but I turned him into old Ash Oak, the Druid instead of the wizard. Um, so I guess I changed that a little bit. There's also two fighters. I think there are elven fighters, Dorian and Lil Willian. I guess part of the story is that the mayor was an old, like a retired adventurer. And he, if you went to him, if the players go to him, he'll give these two, uh, his two friends to like help you out. These two fighters. And we never actually went to the mayor. I, I would, I did have that planned like a like an encounter with that, but no one really thought like, let's see the mayor. Let's talk about politics, I guess, which I'm not very uh, surprised by, but I did change Dorian and Lou Willian into Dory. They're, the two weird elven creatures um, kind of adopted daughter. And I made the, the elves twins cause I thought that'd be creepier. So I think I just changed the pronunciation on both of them. So I slightly changed it, but I guess we did miss out on the, uh, the mayor. I think it was Zachary, Zachary Orman, right? Zacharias Orman, which would have been interesting. If you're running this, that would be an interesting, thing to do but I also that might be kind of a, a holdover from these older modules too I think I don't even know if you need these uh, you know these extra NPC people to like come with you to help you know boost your stats and such which I think is was the idea with these two elves that were fighters with you you know or uh, Jeru the wizard but they would be interesting NPC uh, people to talk to in there as one of, I guess one of the handful of people that aren't converted into the cult. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to think about uh, of how like the systems will sometimes require 
certain NPCs to exist. Yeah. That's an odd one to think about of like, oh, in order to have this, you kind of have to have a person who can do it. And if you don't, then this place becomes like, if you didn't have somebody who lived nearby, who could train people in that old system, whatever level you went in, you were like stuck at that level and you'd have to leave town to come back. And so to keep people here, you then need to have that other stuff there. It kind of, I don't want to say starts to become self defeating at one point, because if it's supposed to be, this is very small and very tight knit. And there's not a lot of these resources. Well, if you have to be able to keep everybody here and not have them want to leave, then you have to start expanding what it has. And does that defeat it? But, yeah, and the uh, it is just an interesting artifact too of the uh, how these mechanics work, especially how much you know word count they dedicate to. Oh, you need to get the players the scroll of I think it might be actually globe of invulnerability or something like that, like the scroll that will specifically make sure they don't instantly die against explicative pilots. Make sure they have the scroll on them, and I'm I just kept thinking. If they if they have the scroll, maybe they don't even think to use it. Like, what? It sounds like a, a terrible idea. And I wonder how many people just went, um, you know, ran this module, you know, from the book without changing anything. And they just died because they didn't get the scroll or they didn't use it properly or something. I'm like, what an interesting little tidbit here that's proving that this is one of the early D&D things. Have you ever had that before in a game? This takes us off course for sure but have you ever had that in a game where you're there's there's something that's necessary or there's one very specific way that a thing has to be done um and the players are just not they aren't thinking to do that they aren't ever uh like they they can't they just can't get it have you ever encountered that yeah i'm I'm sure i have uh i feel it's pretty frustrating especially when you're starting out running these kind of games Mm-hmm. Um, that you have sort of a, a situation in mind that the players have to do. I think just one of the best piece of advice is, oh, just don't, don't worry about that. Don't think of the solution to anything ahead of time, which I think this one kind of is guilty of. Just uh, let the players come up with their own solution and uh, just be uh, open to allowing that solution to happen. And so, like a real great piece of advice is don't come up with a solution yourself. Just make problems and have them have your, let yourself be surprised by whatever they come up with. Because, uh, yeah, I think I had exploited the file specifically throwing fireballs at everybody, but no one, no one had, uh, scrolls of invulnerability and they were fine. They're great. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely happened to me and that always stinks and better game designs. Uh, the, the better way to design games is always or design encounters and adventures is always like don't have just the one way that you can do that uh, but it's it's tough with that stuff yeah um, I'd, I'd be really interested to hear how many people just players running this or you know playtesting this or whatever uh, actually ended up dying at that point and if that went into oh maybe we should rethink this or what or just if it was just so obvious that you had to use the scroll maybe I Hope you enjoyed the first part of that conversation with Austin and David about 
module against Skull of Hell God from Dungeons and Dragons a long time ago. Go back next time where they conclude their discussion. It's going to get even crazier. Maybe. You'll want to be here to hear their final thoughts. Oh, this fucking cat. Hold on. While David attempts to wrangle the cat, I'd like to remind you about there some you of our sponsors. <laughs> our sponsors yeah. do include B&Bs. Not Airbnbs, B&Bs. They're a rival to M&Ms. They both melt in your mouth and in your hand. They're candy-coated baked beans. We tried to have them be baked beans, but there was already a candy named that. And uh, (laughs) we're trying to get a lawsuit to say that they're not actually baked beans. But um, unfortunately, that seems to be going nowhere. And uh, Bush's baked beans had Duke, the baked beans dog. And we have Mitchell, the baked beans cat. And uh, that's what David is is trying to deal with is is Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I apologize, David. No, so, 1982, this was released, right. and.